Section 10 of the Satyricon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Denny Sayers. The Satyricon by Gaius Petronius Arbiter. Translated by W. C. Firebaugh. Volume 2 The Dinner of Trimalchio. Chapters 70 through 78. Chapter the Seventieth. I had not done speaking when Trimalchio chimed in, as I hope to grow fatter in fortune, but not in figure. My cook has made all this out of a hog. It would be simply impossible to meet up with a more valuable fellow. He'd make you a fish out of a sow's coint, if that's what you wanted, a pigeon out of her lard, a turtle dove out of her ham, and a hen out of a knuckle of pork. That's why I named him Daedalus in a happy moment. I bought him a present of knives from Rome, because he's so smart. They're made of Noric steel, too. He ordered them brought in immediately, and looked them over with admiration, even giving us the chance to try their edges upon our cheeks. Then, all of a sudden, two slaves came in, carrying on as if they had been fighting at the fountain, at least. Each one had a water-jar hanging from a yoke around his neck. Trimalchio arbitrated their difference, but neither would abide by his decision, and each one smashed the other's jar with a club. Perturbed at the insolence of these drunken ruffians, we watched both of them narrowly while they were fighting, and then what should come pouring out of the broken jars but oysters and scallops, which a slave picked up and passed around in a dish. The resourceful cook would not permit himself to be outdone by such refinements, but served us with snails on a silver gridiron, and sang continually in a tremulous and very discordant voice. I am ashamed to have to relate what followed, for, contrary to all convention, some long-haired boys brought in unguents in a silver basin, and anointed the feet of the reclining guests. But, before doing this, however, they bound our thighs and ankles with garlands of flowers. They then perfumed the wine-mixing vessel with the same unguent, and poured some of the melted liquid into the lamps. Fortunata had, by this time, taken a notion that she wanted to dance, and Scintilla was doing more hand-clapping than talking, when Trimalchio called out, Philargerus, and you too, Cario, you can both come to the table, even if you are green faction fans, and tell your bedfellow, Menophila, to come too. What would you think happened then? We were nearly crowded off the couches by the mob of slaves that crowded into the dining-room, and almost filled it full. As a matter of fact, I noticed that our friend the cook, who had made a goose out of a hog, was placed next to me, and he stunk from sauces and pickle. Not satisfied with the place at the table, he immediately staged an impersonation of Ephesus, the tragedian, 
and then he suddenly offered to bet his master that the Greens would take first place in the next circus games. Chapter the Seventy-First Trimalchio was hugely tickled at this challenge. Slaves are men, my friends, he observed, but that's not all. They sucked the same milk that we did, even if hard luck has kept them down, and they'll drink the water of freedom, if I live. To make a long story short, I'm freeing all of them in my will. To Philargerus, I'm leaving a farm, and his bedfellow, too. Cario will get a tenement house and his twentieth, and a bed and bedclothes to boot. I'm making Fortunata my heir, and I commend her to all my friends. I announce all this in public, so that my household will love me as well now as they will when I'm dead. They all commenced to pay tribute to the generosity of their master, when he, putting aside his trifling, ordered a copy of his will brought in, which same he read aloud from beginning to end, to the groaning accompaniment of the whole household. Then, looking at Habinus, what say you, my dearest friend, he entreated, you'll construct my monument in keeping with the plans I've given you, won't you? I earnestly beg that you carve a little bitch at the feet of my statue, some wreaths and some jars of perfume, and all the fights of Petrites. Then I'll be able to live even after I'm dead, thanks to your kindness. See to it that it has a frontage of one hundred feet and a depth of two hundred. I want fruit trees of every kind planted around my ashes, and plenty of vines, too, for it's all wrong for a man to deck out his house when he's alive, and then have no pains taken with the one he must stay in for a longer time. And that's the reason I particularly desire that this notice be added. This monument does not descend to an heir. In any case, I'll see to it through a clause in my will that I'm not insulted when I'm dead and for fear the rabble comes running up into my monument to crap, I'll appoint one of my freedmen custodian of my tomb. I want you to carve ships under full sail on my monument, and me, in my robes of office, sitting on my tribunal, five gold rings on my fingers, pouring out coin from a sack for the people, for I give a dinner and two dinars for each guest, as you know. Show a banquet hall, too, if you can, and the people in it having a good time. On my right you can place a statue of Fortunata, holding a dove and leading a little bitch on a leash, and my favorite boy, and large jars sealed with gypsum, so the wine won't run out. Show one broken and a boy crying over it. Put a sundial in the middle so that whoever looks to see what time it is must read my name, whether he wants to or not. As for the inscription, think this over carefully, and see if you think it's appropriate. Here rests G. Pompeius Trimalchio, freedman of Messinus, decreed Augustal, Sever, in his absence, he could have been a member of every decuria of Rome, 
but would not conscientious, brave, loyal. He grew rich from little, and left thirty million sesterces behind. He never heard a philosopher, Farewell, Trimalchio, farewell, passer-by. Chapter the Seventy-Second When he had repeated these words, Trimalchio began to weep copiously. Fortunata was crying already, and so was Habinus, and at last the whole household filled the dining-room with their lamentations, just as if they were taking part in a funeral. Even I was beginning to sniffle, when Trimalchio said, Let's live while we can, since we know we've all got to die. I'd rather see you all happy, anyhow, so let's take a plunge in the bath. You'll never regret it. I'll bet my life on that. It's as hot as a furnace. Fine business, seconded Habinus. There's nothing suits me better than making two days out of one. And he got up in his bare feet to follow Trimalchio, who was clapping his hands. I looked at Eskiltos. What do you think about this? I asked. The very sight of a bath will be the death of me. Let's fall in with his suggestion, he replied, and while they are hunting for the bath, we will escape in the crowd. Giton led us out through the porch, when we had reached this understanding, and we came to a door, where a dog on a chain startled us, so with his barking, that Ascyltos immediately fell into the fish-pond. As for myself, I was tipsy, and had been badly frightened by a dog. That was only a painting, and when I tried to haul the swimmer out, I was dragged into the pool myself. The porter finally came to our rescue, quieted the dog by his appearance, and pulled us, shivering, to dry land. Giton had ransomed himself by a very cunning scheme. For what we had saved for him from dinner, he threw to the barking brute, which then calmed its fury, and became engrossed with the food. But when, with chattering teeth, we besought the porter to let us out at the door, "'If you think you can leave by the same door you came in at,' he replied, "'you're mistaken. No guest is ever allowed to go out through the same door he came in at. Some are for entrance, others for exit.'" Chapter the Seventy-Third What were we miserable wretches to do, shut up in this new-fangled labyrinth? The idea of taking a hot bath had commenced to grow in favor, so we finally asked the porter to lead us to the place, and, throwing off our clothing, which Giton spread out in the hall to dry, we went in. It was very small, like a cold-water cistern. Trimalchio was standing upright in it, and one could not escape his disgusting bragging, even here. He declared that there was nothing nicer than bathing without a mob around, and that a bakery had formerly occupied this very spot. Tired out, at last, he sat down, but when the echoes of the place tempted him, he lifted his drunken mouth to the ceiling, and commenced murdering the songs of Menacrates, at least that is what we were told by those who understood his language. Some of the guests joined hands, and ran around the edge of the pool, 
making the place ring with their boisterous peals of laughter. Others tried to pick rings up from the floor, with their hands tied behind them, or else, going down upon their knees, tried to touch the ends of their toes by bending backwards. We went down into the pool while the rest were taking part in such amusements. It was being heated for Trimalchio. When the fumes of the wine had been dissipated, we were conducted into another dining-room, where Fortunata had laid out her own treasures. I noticed, for instance, that there were little bronze fishermen upon the lamps, the tables were of solid silver, the cups were porcelain inlaid with gold, before our eyes wine was being strained through a straining cloth. One of my slaves shaves his first beard to-day, Trimalchio remarked at length, a promising, honest, thrifty lad. May he have no bad luck. So let's get our skins full and stick around till morning. Chapter the Seventy-Fourth He had not ceased speaking when a cock crowed. Alarmed at this omen, Trimalchio ordered wine thrown under the table, and told them to sprinkle the lamps with it, and he even went so far as to change his ring from his left hand to his right. That trumpeter did not sound off without a reason, he remarked. There is either a fire in the neighborhood, or else someone's going to give up the ghost. I hope it's none of us. Whoever brings that Jonah in shall have a present. He had no sooner made this promise than a cock was brought in from somewhere in the neighborhood, and Trimalchio ordered the cook to prepare it for the pot. That same versatile genius, who had but a short time before made birds and fish out of a hog, cut it up. It was then consigned to the kettle, and while Daedalus was taking a long hot drink, Fortunata ground pepper in a boxwood mill. When these delicacies had been consumed, Trimalchio looked the slaves over. "'You haven't had anything to eat, have you?' he asked. "'Get out and let another relay come on duty.' Thereupon a second relay came in. "'Farewell, Gaius!' cried those going off duty, and "'Hail, Gaius!' cried those coming on. Our hilarity was somewhat dampened soon after, for a boy who was by no means bad-looking came in among the fresh slaves. Trimalchio seized him and kissed him lingeringly, whereupon Fortunata, asserting her rights in the house, began to rail at Trimalchio, styling him an abomination, who set no limits to his lechery, finally ending up by calling him a dog. Trimalchio flew into a rage at her abuse, and threw a wine-cup at her head, whereupon she screeched, as if she had had an eye knocked out, and covered her face with her trembling hands. Scintilla was frightened, too, and shielded the shuddering woman with her garment. An officious slave presently held a cold-water pitcher to her cheek, and Fortunata bent over it, sobbing and moaning. But as for Trimalchio, "'What the hell's next?' he gritted out. "'This Syrian dancing whore don't remember anything. I took her off the auction block, and made her a woman among her equals, didn't I? 
and here she puffs herself up like a frog and pukes in her own nest she's a blockhead all right not a woman but that's the way it is if you're born in an attic you can't sleep in a palace i'll see that this booted cassandra's tamed so help me my genius i will and i could have married ten million even if i did only have two cents you know i'm not lying let me give you a tip said agatho the perfumer to the lady next door when he pulled me aside don't let your line die out and here i've stuck the axe into my own leg because i was a damned fool and didn't want to seem fickle i'll see to it that you're more careful how you claw me up sure as you're born i will that you may realize how seriously i take what you've done to me habinus i don't want you to put her statue on my tomb for fear i'll be nagged even after i'm dead and furthermore that she may know i can repay a bad turn i won't have her kissing me when i'm laid out chapter the seventy-fifth when trimalchio had launched this thunderbolt habinus commenced to beg him to control his anger there's not one of us but goes wrong sometimes argued he we're not gods we're men scintilla also cried out through her tears calling him gaius and entreating him by his guardian angel to be mollified trimalchio could restrain the tears no longer habinus he blubbered as you hope to enjoy your money spit in my face if i've done anything wrong i kissed him because he's very thrifty not because he's a pretty boy he can recite his division table and read a book at night he bought himself a thracian uniform from his savings from his rations and a stool and two dippers with his own money too he's worth my attention ain't he but fortunata won't see it ain't that the truth you high-stepping hussy let me beg you to make the best of what you've got you she-kite and don't make me show my teeth my little darling or you'll find out what my temper's like believe me when once i've made up my mind i'm as fixed as a spike in a beam but let's think of the living i hope you'll all make yourselves at home gentlemen i was in your fix myself once but rose to what i am now by my own merit it's the brains that makes the man all the rest's bunk i buy well i sell well someone else will tell you a different story but as for myself i'm fairly busting with prosperity what grunting sow still bawling i'll see to it that you've something to bawl for but as i started to say it was my thrift that brought me to my fortune i was just as tall as that candlestick when i came over from asia every day i used to measure myself by it and i would smear my lips with oil so my beard would sprout all the sooner i was my master's mistress for fourteen years but there's nothing wrong in doing what your master orders and i satisfied my mistress too during that time you know what i mean but i'll say no more for i'm not one of your braggarts chapter the seventy-sixth 
At last it came about, by the will of the gods, that I was a master in the house, and I had the real master under my thumb then. What is there left to tell? I was made co-heir with Caesar, and came into a senator's fortune. But nobody's ever satisfied with what he's got, so I embarked in business. I won't keep you long in suspense. I built five ships, and loaded them with wine, worth its weight in gold it was then, and sent them to Rome. You'd think I ordered it so, for every last one of them foundered. It's a fact, no fairy tale about it, and Neptune swallowed thirty million sesterces in one day. You don't think I lost my pep, do you? By Hercules, no! That was only an appetizer for me, just as if nothing at all had happened. I built other, and bigger, ships. Better found, too, so no one could say I wasn't game. A big ship's a big venture, you know. I loaded them up with wine again, bacon, beans, capuan, perfumes, and slaves. Fortunata did the right thing in this affair, too, for she sold every piece of jewelry and all her clothes into the bargain, and put a hundred gold pieces in my hand. They were the nest egg of my fortune. A thing soon done, when the gods will it, I cleared ten million sesterces by that voyage. All velvet, and bought in all the estates that had belonged to my patron right away. I built myself a house, and bought cattle to resell, and whatever I touched grew just like a honeycomb. I chucked the game when I got to have an income greater than all the revenues of my country, retired from business, and commenced to back freedmen. I never liked business, anyhow, as far as that goes, and was just about ready to quit, when an astrologer, a Greek fellow he was, and his name was Serapa, happened to light in our colony, and he slipped me some information, and advised me to quit. He was hep to all the secrets of the gods, told me things about myself that I'd forgotten, and explained everything to me from needle and thread up. Knew me inside out, he did, and only stopped short of telling me what I'd had for dinner the day before. You'd have thought he lived with me always. Chapter the Seventy-Seventh Habinus, you were there, I think. I'll leave it to you. Didn't he say, you took your wife out of a whorehouse? You're as lucky in your friends, too. No one ever repays your favor with another. Your own broad estates, you nourish a viper under your wing, and, why shouldn't I tell it, I still have thirty years, four months, and two days to live. I'll also come into another bequest, shortly. That's what my horoscope tells me. If I can extend my boundaries so as to join Apulia, I'll think I've amounted to something in this life. I built this house with mercury on the job. Anyhow, it was a hobble, as you know. It's a palace now. Four dining rooms, twenty bedrooms, two marble colonnades, a storeroom upstairs, a bedroom where I sleep myself, a sitting room for this viper, a very good room for the porter, a guest chamber for visitors. As a matter of fact, Scarus, when he was here, would stay nowhere else, although he has a family place on the seashore. 
I'll show you many other things, too, in a jiffy. Believe me, if you have an ass, you'll be raided at what you have. So, your humble servant, who was a frog, is now a king. Stychus, bring out my funereal vestments while we wait, the ones I'll be carried out in, some perfume, too, and a draught of the wine in that jar, I mean, the kind I intend to have my bones washed in. CHAPTER THE SEVENTY-EIGHTH It was not long before Stychus brought a white shroud and a purple-bordered toga into the dining-room, and Trimalchio requested us to feel them and see if they were pure wool. Then, with a smile, take care, Stychus, that the mice don't get at these things and gnaw them, or the moths, either. I'll burn you alive if you do. I want to be carried out in all my glory, so all the people will wish me well. Then, opening a jar of nard, he had us all anointed. I hope I'll enjoy this as well, when I'm dead, he remarked, as I do while I'm alive. He then ordered wine to be poured into the punch-bowl. Pretend, said he, that you're invited to my funeral feast. The thing had grown positively nauseating when Trimalchio, beastly drunk by now, bethought himself of a new and singular diversion, and ordered some horn-blowers brought into the dining-room. Then, propped up by many cushions, he stretched himself out upon the couch. Let on that I'm dead, said he, and say something nice about me. The horn-blowers sounded off a long funeral march together, and one in particular, a slave belonging to an undertaker, made such a fanfare that he roused the whole neighborhood and the watch which was patrolling the vicinity, thinking Trimalchio's house was afire, suddenly smashed in the door and rushed in with their water and axes, as it is their right, raising a rumpus all their own. We availed ourselves of this happy circumstance, and, leaving Agamemnon in the lurch, we took to our heels, as though we were running away from a real conflagration. End of section 10